Well, good morning and uh, Merry Christmas. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors. Thank you for gathering together uh, this morning. Our First Impressions team will be handing out the connection card booklets. These go down the rows. Every household fill out a card. I want to share with you some Crosspoint family news. Congratulations to Justin and Shannon Smeltzer, who had a little baby boy on the 21st. Vincent Gabriel was born 7 pounds, 12 ounces, 21 inches long. So be praying for their sweet family in the coming days. Uh, in your program, you'll find some details on a Bible reading plan for 2019. It's called Read Scripture. There's an app associated with it. We'd encourage you to download that app this week. But the, uh, the reading plan is also back at Guest Connections as well as online. Uh, what we'd love to see is for us as a church, kind of church-wide, student ministry, households, community groups, friends, that we would be engaging in this Scripture reading plan beginning in January. And so uh, there's resources for that, uh, both online at back, at back at Guest Connections. There's also an opportunity for you as a community group to uh, build your community group around this reading plan. There's free downloadable discussion guides with it. We'd encourage you to check those out as well. So after Christmas, look into that, but prayerfully consider that and invite others to join you in this process as we want to be a people in 2019 growing in our love for the word not neglect of it our, our desire to be changed by the word anchored to it as god's people before we get into the message i want to give a couple leadership things one is you'll see an email later this week or actually today and then later this week in the connection link email from pastor john he wanted to clarify and uh, correct something that he shared on the ninth in his message and so you'll be seeing something about that. If you have questions about that after you get it, uh, feel free to reach out to him. As we've been talking since August, we've been talking about church planting and Pastor Eric and Bree and their family being called out to plant a new church in Manunk. In 2019, Eric's time and focus will turn more and more to church planting. With that in mind, we are planning that Eric will be leading worship as a result less and less. We anticipate him leading probably 40 to 50% of the time January through, through May, and then in June to be free from the leadership rotation so that he's freed up to be able to continue to uh, uh, train the launch team, both from our church and other churches that's going to be going to plant this new work. At this time, we don't foresee hiring staff to help lead worship during that transition time between January and August. After that, uh, my most honest answer to you is, I don't know what's going to happen. But the Spirit does. And we, we're, we want to be a people who are dependent upon the Spirit. We want to be a people who walk by faith and trust that the Spirit will bring wisdom and discernment. We're also trusting that the Spirit will raise up cross-pointers who are willing and able to serve in this area of ministry. That the Lord would equip members of His body to serve and lead His body. That sounds like the New Testament to me. So if you have a musical ability, a a uh, desire to sing and a, a musical and instrument ability. Talk to Eric this month. Regarding Eric's role on the elder team, he'll be stepping off the team here at the end of this month. We desire again to free him up to focus his time and energy on recruiting and, in bu and building this launch team that's going to go to form a new faith family in a new area. So at this point, at some point in 2019, we'll be adding elders. We don't know exactly when that's going to happen. But again, we're trusting the Spirit will, will lead and direct. So all that to say, church family, is pray for Eric and Bree. 
pray for the elder team. Pray for the staff. Pray for leaders who serve around here. This is going to be an exciting, fun year of 2019 of us walking by faith. And one of the things as your pastor that I'm most excited about is the Lord is going to uh, providentially put us into a position where we can't rely upon ourselves, where we can't rely upon our own strength and our own wisdom, but we're going to be a dependent people, a watchful people to see how the Lord is at work. And so we're praying that the Lord would give us unity. We're praying the Lord would give us wisdom. And we're praying the Lord would do far more than we can ask for or, or imagine as we trust in Him and walk by faith. Amen? If you have a Bible with you, turn to the Gospel of John. We'll be in chapter 14 today. Last Sunday we began a, a short four-message series called I Am Life, looking at some of the I Am statements from the Gospel of John. This includes tomorrow night, Christmas Eve, 4.30. Hope you can join us, as well as on the 30th, next Sunday, we finish this up for a family service. Nurseries are still staffed that day. But today we're looking in John 14, where Jesus declares, I am the way and the truth and the life. And in this section of Scripture, Jesus begins with this statement. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Don't let your heart be troubled. And for some of us, maybe all of us in some way, there is some sense today of having a troubled heart. And by troubled, I, I mean you're experiencing some sense of doubt or confusion. Your heart is not at rest. You are unsettled in some way. Your heart is troubled. It's Christmas time, and this time specifically is a time where the loss of a loved one feels especially exaggerated, and your heart is burdened. Maybe this week you're going to walk into a family gathering. Maybe you already have. It's going to be ripe with relational tension. And just as you think about walking into that gathering and being in that presence, your heart is troubled. Your heart is uneasy. Or maybe there's something coming up in 2019 It's going to be significant. A child's going to be born. A child's going to go off to college. You're going to graduate. You're going to get married. You're going to move. A job change will occur. Maybe there's something uneasy about your workplace or about the, the health of your workplace. And with that big thing or things looming out there, your heart is anxious. You're worried. Or maybe you're in a season of, a uh, major season of waiting or change. Like you're stuck at a red light and you're thinking there's no traffic either way. Why isn't this light changing to green and you're just there? Red light, red light, red light. And you're tired of waiting. Your heart is growing impatient, maybe in the waiting. And at the root of that troubled, confused, doubtful heart, at the root of that is unbelief. And we know that because of how Jesus phrased that first sentence. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. The antidote to a troubled heart is belief in God, belief in Jesus. The root of a troubled heart is unbelief in God, unbelief in Jesus. I was talking to a friend a few weeks ago. He's got eight years on me in age. He's been following Jesus for 35 plus years. He's a dear friend, a mentor of mine. And he was sharing with me, man, I still find myself struggling with unbelief at times. When his heart is troubled, he has found that at the root of that is not a circumstance that needs to change. It's not something external in his life that's going to change an internal troubled heart. What needs to change is at the root of that, that, that unbelief that needs to be transformed to the root of belief instead. 
And not just this blind belief that things will get better, belief, wish, wish upon a star kind of belief, but rather a belief in the person and work of Jesus, belief in who God is, belief in what God's Word says. And so we're talking, and I told him, I'm still learning that lesson too. Turning from unbelief and turning toward belief, trying not to blame a troubled heart on something external, but rather calling it for what it is. It's something internal, something that needs repentance and transformation by God's Word and Spirit and His grace. In this passage, we will identify with the disciples. They saw Jesus in the flesh, and yet they're still prone to doubt, still prone to unbelief. Many of us know what the book that sits on our laps, many of us know what it says about who the Lord is and who we are in Him. Many of us have seen the Lord's faithful hand in our lives in in the past years, and yet our hearts can still be troubled. And my prayer and hope is that the Lord would lovingly and compassionately shepherd our hearts this morning as He does His disciples here in this passage. That He would do the same thing for us and we would welcome that shepherding in our lives. At the end of the Gospel of John, He writes this, which tells us the overall goal of His writing. Verses 30 and 31 in chapter 20. Jesus, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's my prayer for us today, as well as when we gather tomorrow, that we would believe in who Jesus is, that he's the Son of God, and that we would know that it's only in Christ and through that belief that true life is found. The context of John 14 is Jesus is in his last 48 hours of his earthly life. His betrayal and death are right around the corner and there's a sense of urgency as he teaches. He's not with the crowds anymore. He's encouraging, instructing his disciples. And in John 13, he tells his disciples things such as this. One of you is a traitor. One of you will betray me. Peter, you're going to deny knowing me. He said, where I'm going, you can't come. Where I'm going, you can't follow. You can follow me later. He says that in verse 36, to which Peter replies, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I'm departing, is what he's told them. I'm leaving. And initially, it's going to seem like this whole thing is kind of crumbling down. These disciples have been following him for three plus years. They'd left lucrative jobs, family-owned businesses, homes, no clear plans, no pensions, no five-year goals, no here's the 20-year strategy of how we're going to get success. It just all began with come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They've been doing just that now for years and now he said, I'm going away and you can't come. You can't follow me. You can follow me later, but not now so it makes sense here of why their hearts might be troubled what they have come to know is starting to change dramatically and in their minds the future now is uncertain doubt and confusion are in this room and so jesus the good shepherd is going to shepherd their troubled hearts jesus is giving reasons here of why his disciples and we to this day can trust in him and he's not impatient with them 
His death is just around the corner. And he's not like, come on, guys. But he's compassionate. And yet he's truthful. The words of a good shepherd, full of grace and truth, for that is how he has come, is what chapter 1 of John has told us, that he has come full of grace and truth. Charles Spurgeon said this in relation to how the disciples approach Jesus. He says this, Thus we notice how they speak to him with a natural, easy familiarity. And he talks to them in, a, in full sympathy with their weaknesses, teaching them little by little as they are able to learn. They ask just such questions as a boy might ask of his father. Often they show their ignorance, but never do they seem timid in his presence or shame to let him see how shallow and hard of understanding they are. So today, listen, the good shepherd's going to shepherd our hearts, but we can come to him, not timid, but a boy to a father. Come to him full of knowing he's full of grace and truth and knowing that we're going to be welcomed and not rejected and knowing that he's good to us. And he's going to remind the disciples here, here's who I am. You can trust me. You can believe in me. Verse 1, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. John Piper uh, defines the word troubled there as a fretful failure to trust God fully for the problems we are facing. A fretful failure to trust God fully for the problems we are facing. And in light of that reality that Jesus perceives in the hearts of his disciples, he calls them to believe in God, believe also in me. The idea of of believe there equates to personal relational trust. Trust brings peace. Trust brings rest. Parents do this all the time with their kids, especially with younger ones. Trust me, it'll be okay. Trust me, I've been through this before, whatever this is. Don't be troubled over this. Trust is the bedrock of relationships. Parents want their kids to trust them. Spouses want to trust one another. Coaches want their players to trust them. Leaders want their people to trust them. This is why it can be so devastating when a leader, a parent, a spouse breaks trust. And when they do, they're revealing their humanity, their brokenness, their imperfection, their need of grace. But with Jesus, he's completely faithful. He's always batted a thousand. He's always followed through. He's never made a promise that he hasn't, that he hasn't followed through on. He's never broken a promise. His word is true. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character is unchanging. He's not moody. He is steady. When you trust in Jesus, you're trusting in God. Jesus is the Son of God. Colossians 1 tells us that He is the image of the invisible God. That the Father was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of of his nature. Jesus is God and he's reminding his disciples of this. At Christmas time, we see the fullness of God come in this innocent, tender baby. Almighty God has come for us, come in the flesh, not only to dwell among us, but rescue us and call and command us to believe in him and no longer believe in our, ourselves or our ability. What I love here is he doesn't give the disciples 
a three-step process. So your heart is troubled. Follow these steps, guys, and uh, your heart won't be troubled. He doesn't call them to follow a recipe. He calls them to follow him in relationship. Because a relationship transcends every single potential circumstance through every year of history, every context, every nation, every culture that we could ever encounter where our hearts might be troubled. When a loved one of yours is dealing with a troubled heart, you don't shoot them an email or a text and says, hey, you know, follow these steps and let me know how it goes. But you give them your presence. You enter their space with your relationship, not with your recipes and quick fixes. And you do that because you love them. Jesus is reminding his disciples of his presence through relationship. You can trust me. Set your heart at ease, men. Notice that all these things that Jesus told them would occur in John uh, 13. None of those circumstances change. All those things come to pass. Judas still betrays. Peter still denies. The disciples still scatter in fear. So Jesus doesn't say, all these things in John 13, what I just shared with you, these troubled your hearts, oh, let me change your circumstances. No, all those things come to pass. He says, no, believe in God, believe also in me. The words of a compassionate, strong, gentle, and trustworthy shepherd who's calling his flock, his people, to trust in him. And in the following words, he's going to give them reasons why they can believe in him. Verse 2, in my father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you I'm going away to prepare a place for you. The first thing he says here in verse 2 is there's room. He told them in chapter 13, you can't follow me, but you can follow me later. You're not called to go to heaven enter into eternal life, but someday you will, and there is room for you. When you think of a room, you think security, haven, rest, refuge, a dwelling place. I love to come home. Home is a place of rest and refuge for me, for my heart. Heather and I want that for the people who walk in our doors. During our daughter's uh, freshman year of college, we moved houses what would have been unloving for us is say, hey, um, Maddie, we don't have a room for you anymore. I know you're going to be at our house for like four, four and a half months a year still, but, uh, but we made this really awesome master suite and this giant bathroom, and we gave our son a really awesome room, and um, you're welcome to the backyard in a tent. You're welcome. <laughs> Come on home. Love to have you, especially over Christmas break. Enjoy your, enjoy your Coleman, all right? <laughs> That would have been unloving. She would have thought, where's my haven? Where's my rest? Where's my refuge? Where's my sense of security? I'm in the backyard right now. When Jesus is telling his disciples there's room, he's saying you can be secure. There's a, ha there's a haven that awaits you, a place of eternal joy and delight. You won't be homeless. Jesus, the Father, won't run out of space. And notice that it's the Father's house, not the Father's hotel. We're in His presence. We're welcomed in, hospitable. The Father's hospitable, hospitable welcomed us in, not holding us there, but we are in His presence, in His home, in His eternal home. 
Earlier in John's Gospel, he writes in verse 12 of chapter 1, but to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. What a beautiful promise that the Father adopts us as his children when we believe in and trust in Jesus, that the Father welcomes us one day into eternity as his children. Dear ones, don't let your hearts be troubled, for there's room in God's house for those who believe in his name. He also says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. What he's saying is, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going ahead of you to make a way of salvation possible. I'm clearing a path of life. What Jesus is not saying here is that the Father's house is in disarray, that he's got to do some sort of fixer-upper. He's not saying, well, I'm going to turn down the sheets for you, sprinkle rose petals, and make a swan out of a white towel or something like that. All right? He's also not saying that the cushions need fluffing, traces of life need to be removed. Yesterday, Heather and I and our family removed the traces of life because we're welcoming life into our home on Christmas Eve, right? Some of you are probably doing that in the next couple days. No, what Jesus is saying here is in order to prepare a place for us in the Father's house, our sin needs to be atoned for. Our sin needs to be covered because in the Father's house, sinful people don't reside. And that's a problem, right? Because we are a sinful people. We are in need of atonement. We are in need of grace. Only people who have trusted in the work of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection to forgive us of our sin are welcomed in. Jesus is saying the wrath of God towards sin needs to be satisfied. Death needs to be defeated. For if the wages of sin is death, death must be overcome. That the chasm or separation that sin has caused between us and unholy people and holy God has to be bridged. And for the disciples, Jesus is saying, I'm going ahead of you to prepare a place for you. I'm going to make the path of eternal life possible through my substitutionary death on a cross. And for us, through the testimony of Scripture, we see that He has indeed done just that. The path of life is through Jesus Himself. This is one reason I love the nativity being next to the cross up here on stage. Because it reminds us that He has come but come for a purpose, to rescue, to set the captives free from the enslavement of sin. The captives, that's you and me. That's those who are still lost, who still need to hear the good news. So don't let your hearts be troubled because Jesus' sacrifice was enough to cover our sin and give us a right standing with God. It was enough to remove the unrighteousness and stain, shame, guilt, He has made the way of life possible, so don't let your heart slip into unbelief. Verses 3 and 4, If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am you may also be. You know the way, or you know the way to where I'm going. Notice he says, I will come again to take you to myself. He doesn't say take you to heaven, but myself. Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. The presence of Jesus is there. Don't let your heart be troubled, dear ones, because Jesus is our dwelling place. He will be departing from them physically here. And he's telling them that. But we're we're going to be reunited, he tells them. For these disciples, there will be a reunion with Christ. And we might be thinking, amen, second advent is coming. 
We're on the other side of this story. Chris, we're, we're, the first advent, advent has come at Christmas. The second Advent is coming. New earth, resurrected bodies, glory of God in place of the sun, no more tears, dying, suffering, sadness, let alone waiting, red lights, struggle against sin, struggle against the devil's schemes. But what about this present day life? What about the trouble I'm facing right now? What about the doubt that I'm maybe sitting on or looking at as I approach the new year? What about now? Yes, fix your eyes on the Lord. Live in light of eternity. But to you who are believers in Christ here today, you and I also need to know that Jesus is our current dwelling place, not just our future one. Yes, there, there will be a reunion with Christ in eternity, but there is an unbreakable union with Jesus today, on this day. This is why throughout Paul's letters, we see the phrase, in Christ, all over the place. Colossians 1.27 tells us that Christ, the hope of glory, is in you. Or Galatians 2.20 says that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He promises in the Great Commission that he will be with us to the very end of the age. He has gone ahead to prepare a place, and he will not only take us to himself one day, but, then, but until then, today and tomorrow and the day after, we will enjoy being with the Lord and his presence. He is not distant. He has come. He is near. Dear ones, don't let your hearts be troubled, for our Savior and Lord is not departed. He has come and he is present. Verses 5 and 6. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, again, points his disciples to himself. And notice that it's the definitive article every time. Not a way and a truth and a life, but the way and the truth, the way, the truth, the life. The gospel is both radically exclusive and radically inclusive. Meaning Jesus is the only way to the Father. And yet all are welcome to repent and trust in Jesus. Jesus didn't say that he would show us a way. He says he is the way. He didn't promise to teach us a truth. He said he is the truth. Jesus didn't offer us secrets to life. He said he is the life. When our hearts are troubled, we need to be reminded that He is the way and He has bridged that chasm. And when our hearts are troubled, we need to know that He is the truth. That He is an anchor, a rock, a refuge. He won't prove false. Faithful to a thousand generations. And we also need to know that He is the life, the giver of life. The disciples had to be thinking here, wait, wait, you're talking about your death, but now you're saying you're the life. Wait, What? John 10 tells us that Jesus says he lays down his life for his sheep and then he'll take it back up because he has the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it back up. The one we trust in church has the authority over life and death. So when he promises, for example, that believers will experience resurrection, we know it to be true because he is the life. He displayed it when the tomb was empty. The disciples were still a little mentally dim on the fact that he was telling them that he would rise again on 
the third day, but we know it to be true because we're on the other side of the resurrection and the ascension. And we clearly see that He is the life. So listen, His words here lead to life. This is why it's so heartbreaking as a pastor sometimes to see people go through this vicious cycle of living for self, doing what is right in their own eyes, doing what feels good to them, basically thinking, they'd never articulate it this way, but saying, my, uh, my own ways, I want to follow my own ways, I want to follow my own truth, and then I think that's going to lead to life. And it notoriously leads to a place of brokenness and destruction, enslavement, entanglement. The Lord is not a sovereign killjoy. He's saying, loved ones, I am life. My living and active words will lead to life. My wisdom will lead to life. My ways lead to life. That doesn't mean a life free from suffering or trouble, but it does mean eternal joy can't be taken away in the midst of suffering and trouble. If you find yourself on this vicious cycle of living for self and sin, today's the day to take that step of faith off that cycle and trust that He is the life, and He is the way, and He is the truth. In all three of those, Jesus is clearly saying, I am God. They are a claim to His all-powerful, unchanging deity. And to say that no one comes to the Father except through Him was as controversial then as it is today. And yet for those of us whose hearts have been transformed by the Lord, those words are the sweetest we've ever heard that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Because when we didn't know the way, when we didn't know the truth, when we didn't know life, He has come to rescue. Thomas Akempis, a, a man who lived in the 14th and 15th centuries, wrote this about this text. Follow thou art me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou must follow, the truth which thou must believe, the life for which thou must hope. I am the unbreakable way, the infallible truth, the never-ending life. I am the straightest way, the sovereign truth, life true, life blessed. Is Jesus the way, the truth, and the life for you today? Not for the person next to you, not for the person around you, but for your own heart today. Are you presently following him as such in your life? If not, I pray that you turn to him, trust in him today, for good news has come. Good news of great joy for all the people is how the angel announced it. Every tribe, every tongue, every people, no matter your background, no matter your baggage, what matters is will you surrender and humble yourself and trust in Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. When we know Him as such, we resist letting our hearts get troubled. Verse 7, if you know Me, you will also know My Father. From now on, you do know Him and have seen Him. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time? And you do not know Me, Philip? The one who has seen Me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe in me 
or believe me, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. We also don't let our hearts get troubled because Jesus and the Father are one. If we know the Son, we know the Father. And there in verse 11, Jesus comes back to this word believe again, and he says, here's the solid foundation of our trust in him. We can believe Jesus simply because of his person and his words, that he and the Father are one, he's the radiance of God's glory, and we can believe him because he demonstrated his power and his deity through miraculous works. And on top of all that, Jesus continues his teaching to his disciples. If you skip down to verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. Jesus dies, rises again, reveals his resurrected body to his disciples, sends to heaven, but in his place, just as he promised would occur, the Spirit comes, counselor, helper, Spirit of truth. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I will not leave you as orphans, he says. Church, he has not forsaken you. The Spirit dwells in every believer. Paul tells us this in Romans 8. Listen to verses 14 through 17. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Don't let your hearts be troubled, brothers and sisters, because the Spirit testifies that you are God's children. You are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You've been adopted by the Father, and no earthly circumstance can break that adoption. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If the worship team could come back up. As Piper says, where is their fretful failure to trust God fully for the problems you are facing? Where is their fretful failure in your life right now to trust God fully for the problems you are facing? I pray the good shepherd's words would encourage and encourage us today, encourage us to believe in him more and more, to turn from our unbelief and lean our full weight upon him. For he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he has told us that there is a dwelling place for us in the Father's house. There is room. And that he has made a way possible for us through his sacrifice. And he is coming again and bringing us to himself. And that we are in him. And he in us today. That he and the Father are one. And the Holy Spirit of God is with us and in us as our helper, as our counselor. Father, I pray that you would continue to minister to our hearts. Father, in my own heart, and as a shepherd in a, in a local church, I know there are so many households struggling with different things, disease and uncertainty. There's various things, Lord. I pray that you would uh, stir up in us a growing belief in you. 
God, that we would be that, that prayer in the fa- of the Father in the Gospels. Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Help us to live this week, worship you in this moment in light of that. We don't want to turn to anything else to try to find life or try to find hope or assurance or security. We want to turn to you and you alone. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for coming full of grace and truth. Continue to transform us by your spirit and by your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up and worship. Psalm 62, uh, 5 through 8 says this, Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock. My refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before Him. God is our refuge. Amen. I hope you can join us tomorrow night for our Christmas Eve service at 4.30. Uh, your, if you have kids back in Sun Chasers, they went out to the barn today uh, for a little Christmas in the barn, a manger scene out there. Um, and so you're welcome to check that out. Your kids might want to do that after the service. And then we're going to have a couple elders, Ben and Joel, are going to both be up here after the service. If you need prayer, want to pray about something as you move into the Christmas season, Uh, We'd have a couple shepherds up here who would love to pray with you and for you. All right, Merry Christmas. See you back tomorrow.